Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Daniel chapter 1. If you have your Bible and you want to take a look at it, there may be one nearby you if you want to follow along. Daniel chapter 1. It's in the Old Testament. January, February, March, April, Ezekiel, Daniel, something. Daniel chapter 1. Israel has a history, as we've talked about before. Israel's history is very similar to mine and similar to yours. It goes like this. I do really, really good for a pretty good amount of time. Keeping focused, praying, talking to the Lord, and then I don't know, I don't exactly know what happens, but a mild breeze, um, something shiny, uh, a flash of anger, something, and I take a quick detour. through the ditch, cross the lines, into a field, you know. And then something will happen, and I'll be like, here you are again, high-centered in the median, you know. I pull it back out, and I get it on the road again. Like, okay, 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 we can do this. All right, let's keep going. We do it again, through the median, into the field, stuck. Somebody toes me out, here comes the Lord. What are you doing out here? I don't know. I was doing so good. Then, this is Israel's history. God came to Israel when they were stuck, pulled them out of Egypt, stuck them in the desert, got them all sitting down Indian style with their legs crossed on the floor. Everybody paying attention? Like, I know, like, yeah, we're all paying attention. A bunch of kindergartners. You got down, they said, listen close. I'm going to take you into the promised land, and you're going to be good. You're going to be good. Like little kids, before they go into the grocery store, mom say, don't ask for nothing. Don't ask for nothing. Okay, I won't ask for, you ask for, you ask for anything, you're going to get it when you get home. You might get it in the store. Everybody understand that? You better behave. Okay, 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 we'll behave. Soon as they get there, I mean, it's just like all this freedom, all these wonderful things, all these new ideas, all these things we could go do. Look at all the extra room we have for activities. This is going to be absolutely awesome. And they do the same thing they did before. What this goes back to is this. Have you ever known somebody who has a very big problem and what they keep saying is, if I could just get out of this town, if I could just get out of this town, I think I would just do so good. I don't know that that space between your ears could be located on a map. But if you could move away from that, you might be okay. But the problem is, it's you that is the problem. And you can't move away from you. And God set this whole thing up to show us 
We cannot stop sticking our hand in the cookie jar. We can't. As soon as you know there's a cookie jar, some of you are like, there's a cookie jar? As soon as you know there's a cookie jar, you have to put your hand in it. As soon as somebody says, don't, now it's on the schedule. Like, we've got to get this done. You're not supposed to do this. Well, I hadn't even thought of that. I should do that. That's always the way it goes. And what God did is he set this whole thing up to show them this is not a law issue. This is not a checklist issue. This is a heart issue. And we could give you a brand new law. We could give you brand new rules. And we could change the speed limit to 85. But you know what you do, don't you? You know exactly what you do. 85 is faster than you drive any other time during the week. As soon as they change the limit to 85, how fast are you going to drive? Oh, you can't stop. Because somebody said limit, boundary, border, don't, sin, off limits. As soon as somebody puts something up, we got to look over the top of it. What God was doing was saying, I want you to be convinced that this is a heart issue. And Israel just kept running off course. Finally, God came to him and he said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to keep running off course in the promised land where I put you. You're going to keep running off course. And in time, I'm going to have my fill. I'm going to have my fill. And then I'm going to step into your life with punishment. And it's not going to be a good thing. I'm going to take away that very thing that I gave you. Wait till your father gets home. You knew. You knew. That bicycle that you like, no more riding that bicycle. Those friends, grounded. You're done. And that's exactly what God did. He sent the prophet Jeremiah to wander into the, the, the Jerusalem temple. And he stood there in front, and God specifically told him what to say. Tell the people, I told them to obey. Tell them, I told them. But because they didn't listen, they're going to live under the reign of a different king in a different country. They're going to get hauled off, taken out of the promised land. Jeremiah goes to the city gates to the temple, stands up and he says, um, I was talking to the Lord and the Lord was very clear. You've continued to steal. You've continued to commit adultery. You've continued to be a terrible group of people. You've been unjust to one another. You're not fair to each other. You've worshiped other gods and God has said, that's enough. And the people revolted against the prophet and threatened his life. Why? Because the truth hurts. I don't really like the truth sometimes. I like the truth if it's truth about you. But if it's truth about me, I don't like it. They threatened Jeremiah the prophet's life which only seems to exacerbate God just even more. I want you to go tell those people, they're mad at you now? Okay, that's it. Now you're getting it. 
King Nebuchadnezzar rolls into town. And he snatches up the royalty out of Jerusalem. This is, this is him flexing, all right? That's what this is. Like he's just flexing. Nebuchadnezzar is flexing. Here's what I mean by that. If you go into somebody else's country and you take their royalty and you make them servants of yours, that's kind of big time, right? Because you got somebody's royalty and they're shining shoes and you get to be like, see this guy? Yeah, he's a king where he comes from. Like, whoa. That's kind of big time, you know? And that's what he does. He takes some of the cool gold articles from the temple and he hauls it off and puts it in the temple of his God. And they haul them about 500 miles away. If you set out on foot, I think Indianapolis is about the same distance, 500 miles. If you set out on foot, chained up, you're royalty too, let's remember. You're probably not used to doing a whole lot of walking. And you get hauled out of your country and you've got to walk 500 miles to Babylon? To find out that you're royalty there, but here, you're a servant. I don't know about you, but that is a big cultural difference. Among that group of people that gets hauled off is this man named Daniel. Seems to be a pretty young guy. Don't know exactly how old, but he's got three friends with him. Daniel and his three friends. King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he says, I want royalty and I want them all at my service, into the service of the king. That's what I'm going to do with them. Check out this passage. This is really great. Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands along with some of the articles from the temple of, uh, of God. These, uh, these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon and put in the treasure house of his God. Verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, uh, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the king's language, the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were, uh, they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were enter into the king's service. I don't know if you caught the word, but here's the word. King. You got a new king now. All you little entitled rich kids. All you little entitled rich kids from another country all show up here. Guess what? We're going to emphasize this until you get it through your thick skulls. Guess what? You got a new king now. Here's how you know, because you're going to train and you're going to learn everything about this king. You're going to learn about this king's literature, his, this king's language. You're going to learn about this king's uh, diet because you're going to eat the king's food and you're going to serve in the king's service and the king's palace. And you're going to be under the king's guards. This is all about Nebuchadnezzar. And these people are like, now what? There's just one word in there I really like. And God delivered them. You know how we like to use the word delivered? I was in trouble and I called on the Lord. 
and he delivered me. You know what happens if you keep being naughty? He'll deliver you differently. He won't just deliver you from, he will deliver you from being naughty. And he will step into your life and he'll be like, I think it's time to deliver you from this. In what way? I think we need to go to a different country. I think you need a new king. I think I'm going to let it eat you. I think I'm going to let it own you. I'm going to move my presence so far back. And you can wander into that as deep as you want to go. And you'll be completely delivered. Why? Because sometimes we just don't listen. And see, when God gets on his, when God gets it in his mind that you need delivered, this is how he delivers you. So listen close. If you do not obey God, he will deliver you. He will deliver you. And by deliver you, what I mean is this. He will say, that's really, really, really what you want. It's like the kid who shows up. Mommy and daddy caught him smoking cigarettes. Daddy looks at him and says, you like smoking cigarettes? Little 11-year-old boy's like, uh, all my friends were doing it, so I don't know. He's like, you really like smoking cigarettes? No, I mean, I don't know. I don't. He's real confused. His dad just seems so generous at this point. He goes, I think we're going to smoke all these cigarettes. And he sits him down, smoke all them cigarettes. About two and a half cigarettes later, this poor little 11-year-old boy is going, he's green, he can't stand up. He's been delivered. <laughs> you have been delivered. You want a cigarette? No, no, Ugh. no, no, I don't. No, I most certainly don't. Delivered. Sometimes he will deliver you in a completely different way. He will hand you over into the very thing that you keep playing with. You want to own it? You can own it. It can be yours. And it will only cost you everything. This is a brand new king. Verse 6. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Interesting. This is very interesting. You're in a new country, and now you're working for the enemy's government. That's interesting. Not only that, you have to learn the enemy's language and study their literature. And then you have to eat their food. Of all those things, I think to myself, if I have to sit down and I have to learn about the enemy's gods and what they want, I have a problem with that. Not only that, but they changed my name. And the names that they gave these guys, they named them after their gods. So now you got a new name that has nothing to do with your god, now has to do with a different god. You're learning a different language that you're going to speak from this point forward. You're going to eat food that isn't yours. Stuff that your mommy never made. 
and you're going to like it. And Daniel says, uh, I got I I a minor problem with some of this. Oh, you got a problem? Oh, do you have a problem? Yeah, I got, a, I, got a, I got a problem. And my expectation would be that he would say, I only believe in my God. And I can't take on the name of somebody else because my name has a lot to do with my God. But he doesn't. He doesn't even say, it's the literature. I'm not going to read foreign material. My mom and dad said I can only read the Bible, and that's it. What he says is, can we change the food? Excuse me? Would like to change the food, the menu, just a little bit? Oh, would you like to change the menu? Get out of here. I want to change the menu just a little bit. Here's the reason why. Our food laws in Israel are pretty strict. And we understand that things are different here. But I would really prefer myself to not defile myself in this. I would like to keep as kosher of a diet as I possibly can. Is there any way we can arrange that? To which the official looks at him and he says, hold on a second, let me get this right. You want to just eat fruits and vegetables and drink water, avoid all the king's food that comes off of his table. And then here in just a little while, he's going to do an inspection and he's going to stand all of you up there and you're going to stand there looking like a vegetarian. Gaunt, skinny. I'm not saying all vegetarians are gaunt and skinny. I'm just saying... Whatever. <laughs> You're going to be gaunt and skinny and all these other guys, meat and potato diet, throwing back some wines. They're going to be healthy. And you're going to be fruits and vegetables? Like, yeah, we, we prefer that. He's like, the king will have my head if you stand in front of him pale. All right? It's not happening. He said, can we do it for 10 days? Sure. Why isn't Daniel butting up against everything else? Why didn't he say the literature's a problem, these new gods are a problem, the new name is a problem? Why didn't he say any of that? Why the food? I'll tell you why. Because Jeremiah, the prophet, back in Israel, wrote a letter to the, those who were in captivity in Babylon. Wrote a letter to him, and here's what the letter said. It's in Jeremiah 29. <clears throat> it's excellent, excellent, excellent. Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, starts in verse 4, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, and find wives for your sons, and give your daughters in marriage so that they too will have more sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Check this out. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. God, do you want to deliver us from Babylon? No. I want you to get used to it. How? Live there. Yeah, but it's bad, and I don't think this is your will. You're right. My will was that you did right back there, but you didn't. So guess what? Now we do this. 
And Daniel settles into this thing. Okay. Okay. This is where we live. See, here's the thing. Oftentimes, we come into these places to where we would like to pin God's will and our idea of it, that because we're experiencing a little bit of pain in our life or a little bit of problem in our life or we're not doing something right and so things are kind of falling apart, things are not working out right, and what we do is we say, well, God would want this for me. Why? God would want that why? Because you want it? That doesn't work. God has a will, and you have a purpose, and he has a plan, and you have a responsibility. And when we carry that out, we find ourselves in a very good relationship with God. Not only that, we find that wherever we are, whether it's in captivity or not, if that place prospers, we prosper. If that place prospers, we prosper. Have you ever said to God, thank you so much for this addiction that I have in my life? Well, can we talk about that? Have you ever said, God, thank you so much for this problem that I have in my life? It's a relationship that's kind of screwed up. It's an addiction that you can't kick. It's a thing that you just cannot get it to break through. No light will come in this door. It doesn't matter what you do. You got a kid that just, for whatever reason, just you worry about constantly. You're looking down this thing and you're going, this is the worst thing in the world. Did you say thank you, God? God, thank you so much for this terrible situation that I'm in. There's a really weird thing that happens when you do that. A really weird thing that happens. You become attached to it. You become attached to it. It becomes a part of who you are. Do you know what happens if you spend time praying for somebody? You like them more. You have more patience for them. You think about them more often. Do you, know, want, to know, do you want to know why it's important for husbands to pray for their wives on a regular basis? So you will like them more. <laughs> wives, do you know why it's necessary for you to pray for your husbands? So you will like us. We need you to like us. Do you know why it's important to pray for your kids, even the ones that you don't understand? So you love them. So you care about them. Do you know what happens if you begin to pray for the thing in your life that's causing you the most pain? It will become almost endearing to you. This thing is causing me to pray more. It must be an okay thing. This thing is causing me to step, take steps towards God in a better way. Then it's not necessarily an all bad thing, right? Well, my marriage is an absolute wreck. I bet if you spend time praying about it, your marriage will begin to mean more to you. When we begin to pray for things, something happens to it. And God says to them, pray for your captors. Pray for the ones who have driven you into captivity. Pray for them. You got a boss that you don't like? I do. Luke. That's not true. Uh, 
Oh, he's in here. Sorry. <laughs> hey, pal. You pray for them, you could care about them more. You could care about them more. You begin to change the way your heart feels about these things. And Jeremiah says to him, pray for Babylon. Oh, I tell you what. Donald Trump doesn't do us a whole lot of, or himself, a whole lot of good sometimes. Just with the things that come out of his mouth at times. And our nation loves, whether you vote for him or not, loves to rag on him. But do you pray for him? I mean, he's making some pretty big decisions on a regular basis. Probably ought to take a little bit of time and say, Hey, Lord, only you could speak to him, but would you please guide him? Because it will matter. And all of a sudden, something changes. You see, there's this little refrain that comes all the way through. You see it in verse 2. And God delivered. And then you see it in verse 9 of Daniel chapter 1. Daniel says, hey, would it be okay if we changed the diet? And then in verse 9, now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? Daniel then said, verse 11, uh, said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and, uh, and treat your servants in accordance with that, with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Verse 15, at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier, better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Can you imagine how upset the rest of that party was? <laughs> oh, well, 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 well. You four little goody two-shoes just got all our wine privileges taken away. And they have the throat rolls in Babylon, you know, the ones with the butter on them that are real soft and the really sweet cream butter. That's what they have in Babylon. You know what we're eating now? Cruciferous vegetables. That is not any good at all. Vegetables. Vegetable. Seconds on the cauliflower, please. No. Like all of a sudden, the whole menu changed. But it wasn't just the whole menu. The whole culture changed. You get this, right? This is a three-year study program that these guys must go through before they can work underneath the king in the palace. Three-year study program. Daniel says, test us for 10 days. What will happen in 10 days? We're going to be healthier. And then they change the entire university. They change the entire school based on God's pragmatic wisdom. Because Daniel holds a little bit of integrity, changes the entire culture. How long has he been there? Not very long. Let me tell you what I found out. I had to write a few little notes down here so I wouldn't forget. 
We know this from the beginning of the story when it comes to Israel. Individual sin costs everyone. You remember being on that football team, right? Remember being on that softball team, right? One person screws it up and everybody's running wind sprints? Yeah, it's the same way. It's the same way. All the individual sin because people wouldn't step up and snuff out the sin. Hey, that's wrong. Hey, that's wrong. Hey, that's wrong. And there was not this idea of community moving towards something. And because they wouldn't get rid of the sin inside the camp, God came in and said, okay, now all the individual sin is going to cost everyone. Individual sin always costs everyone. And you may think, it's a private sin. It's a secret sin. It's costing someone. Your selfishness is costing everyone something. The second one is Daniel's personal integrity changes the culture everywhere. Personal integrity changes the culture. You think, well, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. It's a huge deal. Personal integrity changes everything. Because if you change you just a little bit, that changes somebody else. And that changes somebody else. And that changes somebody else. Just the smallest bit of integrity and Daniel says, hey, humbly, can we alter this diet just a bit? Okay, we'll try it. And it changes everything. See, the Israelites are learning something in captivity. What they're learning is, <clears throat> the last point, and that's this, obedience to God proves more valuable than everything else. Obedience to God proves more valuable than everything else. Soon as they're in captivity, that's what happens. Isn't that true for you too? As soon as things begin to fall out the bottom and you begin to tighten up your ship a whole lot better, things get out of whack and you're like, well, I haven't been reading my Bible. Well, I haven't been praying. I haven't been spending my money right. I haven't been having these relationships. I haven't been taking the initiative and handling these leadership opportunities that have been afforded to me. Of course my world's going to fall apart. So I tighten all these things up. And what happens? Immediately, I start getting a better plan. And I do the next thing right. And I do the next thing right. I do the next thing right. And all of a sudden, I'm right where I need to be. But in time, like Israel, a mild wind, something shiny, blows us off course, grabs our attention distracts us. Verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king, to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, or Azariah. So they entered the king's service, verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned him, he found them ten times better than all the magicians 
and enchanters in his whole kingdom. The king himself realizes they are ten times better than what he's had there. Let me ask you something. Do you see God maneuvering his way into the, into the Babylon government? Do you see this beginning to unfold? Because of a little bit of obedience, God has found a little, bit, a little crevice that he can work in there, and he's about to split Babylon in half. And how's he going to do it? With obedience. With obedience. You see, if we can obey God's word and we can do what the Spirit leads us to do, we can change the things around us. You don't even have to have this great imagination of, here's the thing I want to see changed. All you really have to do is obey. If you just take the steps to obey what God's word says, he can step into the strongest places and break it wide open. And I tell you why that's encouraging to me, because if you've ever been in addiction, if you've ever been in a busted relationship, if you've ever been in a terrible job that you just need out of, if you've ever been in an unhealthy place in your life, if you've ever been in a, de in a depressed state, and you need that broke wide open, here's the, here's the answer to it. Do the next thing God asks you to do. Well, I really don't feel like it. Okay. That wasn't part of the question. Just do the next thing that God's asking you to do. Well, I don't see the harm in it. Not the problem. Just take the next step and do the next thing. Because that will make a difference. Obedience is always the most valuable thing everywhere. Obedience trumps everything else. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for everything that you've done for us. We thank you for your word. We ask that you will give us the strength and the courage and the grit to be obedient, to do the next thing that we need to do, the thing that you're asking us to do. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a wonderful afternoon.